We're at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to dive into God's Word. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in our series of 2 Corinthians, where Paul is teaching the church how to respond to spiritual warfare. And this message could not be more timely than right now as we're responding to the spiritual warfare that is at hand. Last week we titled the message, Wage a Good Warfare, and if you can title that message even further, you can subtitle it, we would subtitle it, A Responsibility to Serve During Spiritual Warfare. Because what we're going to see even this morning is how Paul is responding during seasons of attack. How is he responding during seasons of opposition? And for us as a church, it's important that not only are we aware of spiritual warfare, but how do we respond to it? You see, Jesus promised in John chapter 16, verse 33, He said this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What a promise that we have from Jesus, knowing that, that the Lord told us that we would have tribulation, that we would face opposition, that, that, that suffering would, would come before us, but, but to be of good cheer, to cheer up, to not be discouraged, because we, he would, we would overcome now the world in Him. He would overcome the world. He has overcome the world. Think about the cross and the grave and how Jesus overcame death and sin. And because He did that, we can overcome spiritual warfare. But Paul, is, it, is, he's an example here because he teaches us a humble approach. And really the humble approach was that he was maintaining a spiritual perspective on the way that he focused on this. And really what he was, his perspective was, is that he wanted the Lord to give him eyes so that he can see beyond his present circumstance. And our prayer, my prayer for us as a church, wherever you would listen to this, is that you would ask, Lord, give me eyes that I would see past my present circumstance right now. That you would give me eyes of faith, number one. That you would give me eyes on the Lord, number two. But that you would give me eyes for the glory of God. You see, what would happen is that if during this time we say, Lord, give me eyes of faith during this season. Give me eyes on the Lord. That my eyes would be placed on the Lord. And lastly, that you would give me eyes for the glory of God. And that's exactly what Paul teaches us during spiritual warfare, that he had eyes of faith. Eyes on the Lord. Eyes on the glory of God. And he used now the weapons of warfare. He used them. These were part of the armor of God. And he explained to us even last week as we met that his armor, that he was dressed fully with the right weapons, with the armor of God. That he did not fight the spiritual battle through a carnal method. He did not go through a season of opposition through a method of the flesh. And I want to encourage you today, even wherever we're at today, however we find ourselves, even emotionally or spiritually, that we would not go through this season through carnal methods. What does that mean, you would ask yourself? That you would not go through this season the way those go through it that do not have the Lord Jesus. 
That you would go through this season fully trusting the Lord. That you would fight this battle as Paul has taught us. That the weapons of our warfare are, are, are mighty in God. They're divinely powerful. They're, they're godly methods in which he, he goes through this because that is the secret of victory. There are a lot of times we want to know what the, the secret to victory, what the answer is. Well, Paul tells us that the secret to victory in spiritual warfare is the armor of God. A lot of times we ask ourselves, well, what is the secret to victory in my problem in life and here in this place or in that place or now that the world is, is, is going through all these changes every single day? Well, the secret to victory is the armor of God. And some of the most important components of the armor of God that make our life, that make our ministry effective, set a building. It's not necessarily how we have now arranged a, a secular form to, to give us victory. It really isn't that. The, the, the secret to victory in the world, some of the most important now or effective weapons in the armor of God is the prayer in the Word of God. Prayer in the Word of God. Is this now not a time for us to be in prayer and in the Word of God as a church? That we would gather our families and our children to say we want to to be in prayer and in the Word of God because there is the secret to victory during spiritual warfare. You see, He has told us this, that the weapons of our warfare, and we can start in 2 Corinthians 10 verse, 10, verse 4, He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. And then He lists now f five reasons as to what the purpose of the weapon is for. What the purpose of now the mighty in God, what the purpose of the armor of God, what is it that it accomplishes? It accomplishes five things. And I'm going to give you the five things because I really hope that you would write these down as we remember now what they are. What is the mighty in God? What is the armor of God? What is the divinely powerful weapons that we use? What are they for? What purpose do they accomplish? Number one, they accomplish for pulling down strongholds. Pulling down strongholds. Think about the strongholds that we face in our life. Strongholds of fear, of pride, of anxiety, of bitterness. Maybe strongholds of unforgiveness. In verse 4, he tells us that the weapons of our warfare are for pulling down strongholds. If there is anything that we want to do is we want to pull down that fortress now that is standing in the way, that fortress of division, of bitterness, of anxiety, knock it down, destroy it, pull it down. Strongholds. Number two, what the weapons of our warfare are for, casting down arguments. Verse 5, he tells us that the second reason for the weapons of our warfare, what are they efficient for? For casting down arguments. Destroying false arguments. Arguments that are not true, uh, arguments that, that, that display human reasoning or, or intellect that, that, that really try to now come against now the teaching of the Word of God. The weapons of our warfare are to cast down those arguments. In verse 5 it tells us as well that the weapons of our warfare are to also cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is it that the weapons of our warfare do? It, it casts down the thoughts or the perceptions that keep people away from knowing God because of a proud obstacle of saying, you know what, I, I'm smarter, I don't need the Lord. There's a big perception, there's a big mentality where people think that, that I, I am too smart, I don't need the Lord in and of myself, I'm good, I'm fine. That's the kind of 
Now, power, that the weapons of our warfare does, it pulls down strongholds of everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, that believes, I am now mightier, I am smarter, I am more wiser than God. My method is better than the method of God. There is no better method than the method of the Lord. And we must understand that. There's no better method than the method of knowing that we're submitted to God. There's nothing more effective than that. You might think that you, fo- you thought of something that's more effective than following the Lord or submitting to God, but there is nothing more effective than submitting your life to the Lord. Because the carnal ways, the worldly ways, the secular mind, that way of thinking is not effective. We must submit ourselves to the Lord. That's exactly what he tells us. And, and, and now in verse 5, he also says, bringing every thought captive now. Do you understand how that, that's so important in verse 5? The fourth reason of the weapons of our warfare are to bring every thought captive. And that's so true because he tells us that, that what we're doing is, is bringing every thought now. And we're not letting it roam free. We're, we're bringing any thought that is carnally minded now or secularly minded. And we're bringing it captive so that it can obey now the Lord. So it can submit to the Lord. Think about that. As we're going through spiritual warfare, should we not say, Lord, I want this thought to submit to you. Because the corruption of the mind leads to the carnality of the church. And I'm going to say that again because I want you to remember that even right now as we're going through this season that the corruption of the mind leads to the carnality of the church. When the enemy is able to enter your mind, guess what he's also able to enter? Enter and corrupt the church so that nowhere is it a holy church. It's become now a carnal church, a sinful church, a compromising church. Our thoughts are not to be free thoughts. Our thoughts are to be thoughts that are submitted unto the Lord. And that's exactly what he wants to teach us. That our thoughts are submitted to the Lord. The thoughts of lust, the thoughts of anxiety, the thoughts of fear, the thoughts of greed, the thoughts of bitterness, maybe the thoughts of evil. That every part of our thought would be submitted to God. That it, it, it would, we would hold it captive and say, Lord, we want to submit this thought under you. Because in order to wage a good warfare, in order, in order to fight a good fight, you must bring your thoughts captive. You must. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, what did Paul tell us? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this your reasonable service. What is he teaching them there? That it starts by the renewing of the mind. Do not be conformed by the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you would prove, it starts in the mind, that you would prove what is good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to prove what's the will of God? It starts in your mind. Do you have the mind of the Lord? Or do you have a different mind? The weapons of our warfare are to cast down arguments. The weapons of our warfare are also to cast down everything that highly exalts itself before the knowledge of God. But the weapons of our warfare are also to pull down strongholds and hold every thought captive. It's so important. But also, he tells us in here, even in verse 6, as we finished off last week, he says, the, the weapons of our warfare also are ready. Do you listen to the urgency here? This is... The weapons speak of something that you are to be now ready to utilize. 
ready to utilize for what? Verse 6, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The weapons of our warfare are so that we are ready to confront and to rebuke, to discipline all disobedience in the presence of submitting to the Lord. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready maybe with the weapons of the warfare that the God has given you with the armor of God that you would confront those areas even in our lives? And ready to rebuke and to, and to confront and to, to come and say the no more of compromising in my life because I'm going through spiritual warfare and I'm dressed in the armor of God and I'm ready to confront anything that stands against God. Any thought? Any idea, anything that stands against God, I'm willing to stand against it and, com- and really confront it so that I can move forward and move past this. You see, we're all soldiers together in this battle. And what's awesome about this is that Paul is saying the weapons of our warfare are ready to bring discipline among the troops. Discipline among the troops. Isn't it something that is so important that we ought to learn how to bring discipline among the troops in the church? Because this is the way that we fight our battles where we are relying on God's methods and not relying on the world's methods. That is the message of chapter 10. Rely on the methods of God. Rely on the Lord. Depend on the Lord because the, the, the true stronghold is to have a mind that is thinking of, of something apart now from relying on the presence of God, on the strength that comes from the Lord. And now from verse 7 to verse 18, as we study it even this morning, we're going to start to see. We're going to start to know that really he not only is fighting this spiritual warfare, not only is he talking about spiritual warfare and how he responds to it, but is he saying, I'm relying on the Lord and my approval is only from the Lord. I don't need my approval from other people on how to handle spiritual warfare because I'm fully submitted to God. I don't need my validation from people. I am fully dependent and confident in the Lord. And that's the, way I, that's the reason why I can rely on Him. Why don't we pray right now and ask the Lord that He would continue to lead us in this time as we study His Word. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, God. And we ask, Lord Jesus, by the power of Your Spirit, that You would illuminate to us how You would desire that we would use the weapons of our warfare. That we would replace the carnal mindset of relying on outward appearance, relying on the world's way. And that we would rely on your way. What is your way? What is it that you are telling us? In Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, Amen. So he tells us here how to rely on the weapons of the Lord. The armor of God. From from verse here 7, they're looking to discredit Paul because he doesn't have the outward appearance of one who is to serve the Lord. And look what he says here. Let's read. Do you look at the things according to the outward appearance? Are you looking to things according to a carnal reliance or according to an outward appearance, according to something that maybe appears good before you? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is in Christ, let him again again consider this in himself, that just as he is in Christ, even so we are Christ. Verse 8, For even if I should boast some what more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destructions, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. 
For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in the word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. You see, the, the, what the Corinthians were looking to do is to discredit Paul because he did not look as one to exercise authority over the church. That's why Paul is saying, he starts off by saying that my method is God's way. And now he's going to address why they are using the wrong test to make him approved before the Lord to do ministry. They were using the, the wrong test. Do you want to know what the wrong test is? The test of outward appearance. And none of us really want to be judged on mere outward appearance. We would love for people to see our hearts. And that's exactly what he wants us to shift to. That we wouldn't merely see the outward appearance, but the reality of what God has called us to and the heart, the boldness now that Paul has here, it starts because of the heart. We're not relying on the outward appearance here, he's saying. And in verse 7, he tells them, do you look at the things according to the outward appearance? Are you looking at me because maybe I don't look like other apostles or prophets? Or are you looking at me maybe because I don't have that type of speech? And you start to think to yourself that I don't have the command presence when I am here with you. But when I'm absent, I'm writing these strong letters. And you think that I'm weak, really? Look what he says in verse 7. Just as you think that you are in Christ, realize that we also are in Christ and we belong to God just as much as you do. Because being Christ means more than merely belonging to Him. Being Christ means more than belonging to Him. Being a part of Christ. Being in Christ means being His servant. It means being His disciple. And that's what he's saying. I am Christ. I'm His servant. I'm His disciple. And my approval is from the Lord. My leadership, my authority that I get here in verse 7 to do ministry is from God. In John chapter 2, verse 24, we see, Do not judge according to the outward appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. How is it that we pass judgment on people? How is it that we decide, that we discern? Are we doing it with a discernment that we know that it is the Lord that really will test the hearts? In Romans chapter 14, verse 7 and 8, it says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. But if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. What Paul is saying by, with all of this, he's saying, you know what? It is the Lord who is the one who judges. It is the Lord who is the one that's looking at my heart. Verse 8, they say, he says here then, For even if I should have boasted, somewhat more about our authority, even if I talk about the authority that I have, being that you want to discredit me, even if you think that I'm mentioning this authority or this position too much, notice why he uses this authority. And in verse 8 it says, which the Lord gave us. Underline that in your Bible. The authority that he has is because the Lord gave it to us. It's not a self-promoting authority. It's not a self-made authority. It's an authority that's given to the Lord. And this authority comes with a responsibility. And I want you to know that the authority that we have to serve the Lord, the authority that, that is in place in every position that we know of, it's a, the authority that's given by God. But what is it given for? It's given to us. The Lord gave us this authority for your edification and not for your destruction. I shall not be ashamed. I'm not ashamed, Paul is saying, about talking about this authority. 
I'm not ashamed about talking about it because it's something that God gave me. Therefore, I don't have to be ashamed about talking about it. In fact, I know that the Lord put me in this position and with this authority came a responsibility. I use this as a tool to serve others, not to be served. You see, we ought to use places of leadership in our lives, places and positions of authority in our lives, platforms that God has given us in our lives. We ought to use them not to be served, but to serve other people for edification. The word edification means as to build someone up. And Paul is saying here, I am not ashamed to talk about the authority that God has given me because He gave it to me, number one. And number two, because I'm using it to edify or to build up, not to destroy. I want you to think about the place that you're living in in your life. God has maybe placed you as a head of household, as a father to children, as a husband, maybe even as a wife, as a student, as a daughter of the Lord. As a worker, they're faithfully working at your location and He's put you in a place of authority. Well, what is it that we ought to do as Christians with places of authority? We ought to use them to build other people up, to make them stronger and not to destroy them. Authority is not to be used to destroy others. And that's why He's unapologetic. Because He's using it as we should use it to build others up. And how is He using it? Because God gave it to Him. And God has established all levels of authority. And God has also established all levels of submission. Sometimes we want to rebel against all levels of submission and authority. Well, God has established those. And whether it's at church or at home and wherever we go, we have to really submit to us in the workplace, in the government, whatever it would be for edification. Notice that he said that. Isn't that what Jesus did? In Matthew 20, verse 28, he said, Just as the Son of Man... Our Lord, our Master said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That's the perspective. I come with leadership as a servant leader. Do you see how Paul is approach, approaching this? Authority that God gives, authority that God provides, always seeks one thing, to edify, to build up. You know that, how this helps us as a church? As a people of God, you know, you know, this helps us distinguish and discern something. That when someone comes with an authority, and their authority is dividing, their authority is confusing, their authority is causing disorder, we know that that authority did not come from the Lord. And there are times in our lives where people say, you know what, I came with an authority from God, but they are dividing the body of Christ. They're bringing confusion in the body of Christ. That is not from the Lord, because the Lord does not bring confusion. He does not bring fear. He brings order. He brings order. And God's plan is always to build, to edify, not to destroy. In fact, in, in Matthew 16, verse 18, what does the Lord say? Now, I, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. You are a rock now. And upon this rock, I shall build my church. And the powers of hell shall not conquer it or not destroy it. I will, what does he say? I will build my church. And just like the Lord wants to build his church, so does Paul want to build those that He serves. I pray that during this season that we would be those that say, Lord, wherever You've placed me, at whatever capacity You have me in, I want to be here to build. And maybe You change my schedule a little bit, but I'm going to be here to build. At workplace, at home, when I speak with the believing brothers and sisters, when, when I'm in contact with those around me, I want to be there to build. Not to destroy. Verse 9 and 11, look what it says here. 
lest I seem to terrify you by letters. I don't, I don't want to scare you by letters. I don't want to ter terrify you by letters. I don't want to lead with fear. It's sad when you get someone that wants to lead with fear. He's not leading with fear now. He's leading with love and with boldness at the same time. And he's saying some people are saying that Paul is so demanding that he's so forceful, that, that, that he's so forceful in his letters, but in person he looks weak and his speeches are really worthless, that they're ineffective and they're misunderstanding Paul here. And in verse 9 and 10, we're going to look at that. He's saying, I'm not looking to terrify you with these letters that I'm sending you, although they are very direct and they come with a lot of discipline and a lot of conviction. The conviction comes from a position of love. The conviction comes from a position of wanting to see you repent, wanting to see you be built up, wanting to see you now come forth as a stronger body of Christ. And let's read verse 10. It says, For his letters, they say, and he's quoting them, what they're saying, are weighty and powerful. Yeah, they come very strong with their letters, but his bodily presence, when he shows up in person, he's weak, and his speech is contemptible. Or he's weak, he's ineffective. This guy's not the real deal. And he's wanting them to realize to accept his ministry for their own good. You know when you don't want to accept the ministry of the Word of God or the teaching of the Word of God when it's given by the Lord? It's for our own good. We must learn to receive it. Today I pray that as this message is going forth that you would receive it. You would receive it just as you've opened up your home that your heart would be open to receive the Word of God. Now verse 11, look what he tells them. Let such a person, those that think that I am weak in person, that I'm only strong when I'm writing to you, let such a person consider this, that we are in word by letters, that what we are in word by letters, just like what we say in letter, when we are absent, such we will be also indeed when we are present. You know what he's saying here? He's really telling us something. Just the way that we are bold, when we write and we are absent, that's the same way that we are going to be bold when we're at present with you. He's saying, I mean what I'm saying. And that's going to be consistent, my boldness. And no matter what the season is, whether I'm here or I'm not here, my boldness will be consistent. I'm going to be consistent. Consistency is something that's so important. And, and what they were now blaming Paul is to be inconsistent. I pray that we would be those people that are consistent. That we are bold. That we are genuine. That we're real. We're authentic. That we, what we say when it comes to our faith, we actually do indeed. Notice that word that he uses in verse 11. Indeed. Indeed means something in action. Write that down in your Bible. In action. What I say in my letter, what I say, also I do in action. What I'm telling people, I'm also doing it in action now. Verse 12 now, we're going to see that he respects now also the limits of where God has placed them to serve other people. That he doesn't overstep his boundaries. That he respects those boundaries. And look what he says in verse 12. For we dare not to class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. They're not wise. 
I don't, I'm not like somebody else. He's saying, I'm not like those other prophets that are so into themselves and those other leaders and those other, those other people that are doing ministry and apostles that are false apostles, right? Where they, all they do is want to compare themselves amongst themselves. You know, the, the worst problem today is that we like to compare ourselves with other people. <laughs> if you want to compare yourself to someone, if you want to compare yourself to a standard, let that standard be Christ. Because there is no better standard than you comparing yourself than the standard of Jesus Christ. You want to compare yourself to someone. Don't compare yourself to that person that you think is doing good. Because even the best version of ourselves, we're still guilty of yourself to the image of Jesus Christ. That we would understand, that we would know, that we would realize... That what we're doing, what we, what we are in this for, is to know that, that we get the approval from the Lord and not from anyone else. In fact, in verse 12, he's saying, we're not looking to validate ourselves just like others want to validate themselves and they think they're the standard. They're talking about how important they are and they compare themselves with one another or they engage in self-promotion, which is not wise at all. He's going to tell us here in verse 12, it is not wise, it's ignorant, it's a false standard. Sometimes we as believers want to say, look how well that person is doing and, and how, you know, look at my life, it's, I'm not doing well. And that is a false way of comparing yourself. In fact, we shouldn't compare ourselves to no one. Yes, we can become encouraged by our brothers and sisters that are going forth in the Lord, but we should not compare ourselves to anyone. You see, Paul is saying, I'm not going to wage war, I'm not going to fight against or according to the world's method. And I'm also not going to compare myself according to the world. Stop comparing yourself according to the world. And that's what he's saying in verse 12. In fact, let the Holy Spirit measure us. We should not be measured by the world's standard. Let the Holy Spirit measure us through God's Word. You want to measure yourself? Measure yourself according to the Word of God. The Word of God is a standard. And, and we measure, when the Holy Spirit measures us on God's scale now, He looks at the heart. The world doesn't look at the heart. But when we're measured according to God's scale, the Lord is looking and the Holy Spirit is looking straight into our heart. Verse 11, it says, Comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You see, we need wisdom when it comes to this. We need wisdom. Paul said, my only personal concern, my only personal concern is not that I would be approved by others, but my personal concern is what the Lord thinks about me. How many times have you struggled because of what people thought about you? <laughs> Whether they were going to like you or not. Whether someone was going to approve what you, what you did or what you said or what you stood for or, or your convictions. And, and, and you start to apologize after for your convictions. If you apologize for a, a, a conviction, then it really isn't a conviction. Because you didn't really stand on that firmly. Paul is saying, I'm standing on this firmly. I know God placed me here. And I know it's the Lord that judges me. I know it's Him. And the only person that I want to be approved by, it's the Lord. And that's never going to change. And I pray for us right now that, that as we are reading God's Word, that we would say the only personal concern that I have is that I'm approved by God and that's never going to change. That's always going to remain the same. And I will remain humble through that strong conviction. 
Do you know that you can remain humble through a strong conviction? Let's keep reading verse 13, because that's what he tells us. We, however, will not boast beyond measure. I'm not going to now exercise or boast beyond this measure, he's saying, but within the limits of sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm not going to give a false or untrue now statement of what God's called me to do. No, I know what God's called me to do. And, and what He's called me to do, I'm, I'm going to do it, not beyond measure, but within the limits. <laughs> I like what He's saying here because in verse 13, He says, I know what God's called me to do. I know where God's called me to do this. I know what He's called me to do. And I'm going to stay in my lane. <laughs> I think it's important as Christians that we remain humble and the best way of remaining humble is just to stay in that lane within the limits. I'm going to remain a servant. I'm not going to go beyond the measure of anything that God hasn't called me to do. <laughs> the reason why we get in trouble is because we start becoming busy in areas or things that God hasn't called us to do. And we have to slow down and say, Lord, I don't want to go beyond the limits. I don't want to get off sides on something that you have not called me to do. Here Paul is saying, I'm going to always stay within what God has called me to do. I'm not going to be overly zealous. I'm not going to be self-promoting. What God has given me, I realize. And that which He has told me to do, I'm going to stay simple and obedient just to do what He's called me to do. And you know what that includes? He's saying here in verse 13, that includes serving you. That includes serving you. And I, I, I know that. That sphere that area that God's called me to serve in, it includes you. It's more than just an authority. It's a God-given responsibility to lead and to serve the Corinthians. Now, what God-given responsibility? Where has God placed you right now? Because where He's placed you, He wants you to serve those people. And you might say, well, I don't know who He's placed in my life. Well, serve the people that are in your home. Serve the, those in which you are living with right now. And stay there faithfully serving the Lord where God's called you. Not beyond the limits, but within the limits of what God's calling me, I'm going to maximize now my usefulness for the Lord. Verse 14, what does he say? For we are not overextending ourselves. We're not out of place when we claim leadership here. Have you ever felt that maybe you were out of place for, oh, I feel out of place saying this. <laughs> Paul's saying, I'm not out of place saying this. I'm not, it's not, I'm not out of turn saying this. I'm not stepping on anyone's boundaries or over boundaries now when I'm saying this. I know that, that what I'm saying is right. It's true. In fact, he's saying, I'm not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. I'm not saying this as if my authority didn't apply to you or my ministry didn't apply to you. My ministry does apply to you. <laughs> It's almost like a parent going to a child and saying, well, I, I'm not sure if I should discipline or correct or, or I don't know if I'm going to, you know, pass my boundaries and telling my own children this. You don't ever feel that way. Because you know that's your responsibility. And you know you're doing it from a position of love. So he's saying, where God has called me, I know He's called me. And where, what He's called me to do, I'm going to do it with love. And he's saying here, I'm not overextending myself, verse 14, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Well, this is amazing. I know what God's called me. I know what He's called me to do. And as, how, as God called Him, look what He's saying. I want you to realize that He's called me to you. And I know He's called me to you because I'm the one that brought you the gospel. I'm the one that shared with you the love of God. I invested time. I invested now 
even the preaching of the gospel to you. I spent time sharing the gospel. We extended ourselves over to you, or we extended the gospel to you. See, this is so beautiful in verse 13, 14, where, he, where he's saying this. Because he's saying that he extended, he reached out. He reached out to them with the gospel. Who are you reaching out with the gospel? Especially in the season that I pray that as a church, we would not waste it. It's so easy to waste times. And you would look back and remember that time where we had to listen to church online or watch church online. But do not waste this season. Extend yourself and extend the gospel to places where it has not yet been reached. I say, I'm doing this because I love you. And He's utilizing His gifts and His talents. He's utilizing His position now to love His neighbor. To love those that He serves. That I'm using now this platform that God has given Him to serve people. And the way that I serve them is by bringing the gospel, by bringing Jesus in. <laughs> well, have you brought Jesus in? You bring a lot of other things in, the relationship, in the conversation, in the dialogue. But have you brought Jesus in? And he's, what he's telling them here is that I'm refusing to speak upon my own accomplishments. I'm, I'm preferring to speak of what God is doing. Why has God placed me here and what He's doing through my life? Let's read verse 15. It says, Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors. I'm not, I'm not bragging about what I did not accomplish. I'm not bragging even about what I did accomplish. If I'm going to talk about something, it's, a, it's going to be about what the Lord's done. That's why he has eyes of faith, eyes on the Lord, but lastly, eyes on the glory of God. And we have to think about every season of our life. When that season is over, did God receive the glory? I was only there living for the, a, a small season. Did God get the glory from that? I was only working there for only a season. Did God receive the glory? Well, the changes in my life took place. Did God receive the glory? In verse 15, I'm not boasting of things beyond measure. I'm not talking or claiming credit or any growth on someone else's life or their spiritual growth or how their faith grows. I'm not, I'm not crediting it to myself. I'm not receiving that credit. But let's keep reading in verse 15. It says, That is in other men's labors, but having hope, I hope instead, that as your faith is increased, as you grow spiritually, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Now what is he saying here? He said, I hope and I pray that you grow spiritually from this, and as you grow spiritually... The ministry and the opportunity for ministry would also grow. The sphere would be enlarged. Do you see how as we as people, as believers, as we are growing spiritually, you know what this does for the ministry? It also now gives more opportunity for us to serve in ministry. And that's what he's saying. I pray that you would grow in ministry so the boundaries of ministry also grow. They're also extended. As you grow in your, your walk with the Lord, also the opportunities and the boundaries of ministry will be extended as you greatly are enlarged by your sphere. You see, when you have healthy, a healthy church, a healthy body of believers, you know what that creates? That creates more opportunities for ministry. In what sense? In the sense that now you're able to reach more people. <laughs> And that's what his concerns are. If more people are walking with the Lord, that means we're able to reach even more people. What is, who does he want to reach? He wants to reach the unchurched. 
He wants to reach the unbelieving and He wants to reach the unreached. The unreached, the unchurched, and the unbelieving. Think about who is unreached, unbelieving in your life, unchurched in your life. That we can reach those people. Verse 16, He says, I want to reach them and I want to preach the gospel in regions beyond you. I want you to grow so that we can start reaching even other areas. I want, you to, I want to expand the vision of ministry. I want to go in other areas where we have not gone yet. And for Paul, it was Rome. It was Spain. He wants to take the gospel to places that have not gone before. To hearts that had not heard it before. To those people that needed it as much. And he says that they needed it even more so than, than the Corinthians. Because they had received it already. He says, to preach the gospel in regions beyond you. And not to boast in another man's fear or accomplishment. I'm not looking to build on someone else's foundation. What I'm looking to see and I hope and I pray is that you would grow. So that we can continue reaching more people. Do you see how he's passionate for the lost now? He understands there's, there's more work that needs to get done. And I pray that we would realize that there's a lot of work that needs to get done right now. And that through this season, we would grow so that we can reach more people. That through this season, we would say, well, the Lord brought these people to the Lord during this time. As we were growing, as we were fully focused on the Lord, we, get, we were able to expand ministry. We were able to expand our effectiveness now because we had a passion for the lost like Paul did. In verse 17, he says this, But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Would you underline that in your Bible? But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I'm not boasting about my accomplishments. I'm not boasting about what I have done or I haven't done in my leadership. That's not what my leadership's about. My leadership is not about bringing credit to me. My leadership, Paul is saying, and whatever God has put me in, my leadership is about edifying and building other people up so that you can grow and we can continue reaching more people. It's not so that I can receive the glory. It's so that God can receive the glory. And that's why he's in that position. Do you see what he says here? But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He's actually quoting out of Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and verse 24. Because there was a time for these Corinthians that they were boasting in their own wisdom. They were boasting in their own intellect. They were boasting in, in what they had accomplished now. And he reminds them. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 tells us this. Thus says the Lord, let no, not a wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't rely on your wisdom, on your accomplishments. A lot of times we rely on our accomplishments, our wisdom, our experience, or even our education, and we think that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. We're not sufficient, we're very weak people, we're very vulnerable people, and we need the Lord. In fact, I pray that through, through what we're going through right now, that we would realize how vulnerable we are. How weak, how fragile our bodies are, that we need the Lord for everything. And he goes on, Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24. And he says, let no man glory in his might and his strength. Let no, man, no rich man glory in his riches or I have a lot of money. I don't need the Lord. I have wisdom. I have power. I don't need the Lord. What is it? Wisdom, power, and riches. Don't glory in any of them. <laughs> it seems that every time we have a little bit more power, a little bit more wisdom, and a little bit more money, we seek that, hey, I don't need the Lord now. But look what he tells us here in Jeremiah 9, 24. But he who glories, let him glory. It says, in this, 
that he understands that and knows me. I'm going to glory that I know the Lord. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness in judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. God delights. God delights. God is pleased when we glory now in His loving kindness. When we glory now in His righteousness. When we're glorying in the Lord. Verse 18. For not he who commends himself is approved. It's not about what he thinks of himself that makes him right. It's not about what you think of yourself that makes you right, but whom the Lord commands, but what God thinks of you that makes you right. So stop using the world as a standard to measure yourself before the Lord. Stop using the world as a standard. It's not about self approving one another. It's about the Lord. In the New Living Translation, he reads this verse, when people commend themselves, it does not count for much. When they commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. It's for what the Lord says about them. It doesn't matter how much you testify about your own accomplishments, how much you have that really impresses anyone. It doesn't even impress God, I'll tell you that. It does not impress God because what we, our real need is our need for Jesus. That is our real need. And if we're going to glory about something, if we're going to brag about something, if we're going to be proud about something, it's not going to be about you. <laughs> If you want to be proud about something, be proud about the glory of God, about the Son of Jesus Christ. Be proud about the grace of God. It's about what the Lord says about you that matters. Paul wanted them to respect, the Corinthian Christians to respect now. For their sake, his leadership. But why for their sake? Because Paul was, was satisfied already in the approval that came from God. It was for their sake so that they would continue to grow and that more ministry would be accomplished. And I pray that, that today, even as we, we conclude and we pray right now, they would say, Lord, give me eyes of faith that I wouldn't measure myself or measure anything or use the world's method in spiritual warfare. Give me eyes of faith that I would see the present circumstance as a spiritual warfare where I would need your method, not my own method, because my strength is not enough. Lord, also give me, Lord, Lord, eyes that are placed on you only and that are not placed on other people. Because when my eyes are placed on people and on circumstances, I, I tend to, to really start to follow them. And start to be deviated and I walk away from you and I get frustrated and, and emotionally I cannot handle the frustration now and the disappointment. But Lord, also give me eyes on the glory of God, that I would not touch the glory, that if there was anything that I wanted to glory on or be proud upon, it will be the Lord. Because He sent His one only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And my real need, my biggest need in life, is not my own accomplishments. That doesn't want, that's not my identity, it's not in my accomplishment, my identity is not my strength, my identity in what I am, it's not in my experience. Our identity is a new identity, and that is found in Jesus Christ. That is found only in the Lord. Can we pray that God would give us that heart to find our full sufficiency? Our full sufficiency would come from God and it wouldn't come from anywhere else. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. And I pray for anyone that's watching right now, Lord, that maybe, Lord, needs to find their identity themselves, their sufficiency in you, Lord. Anyone that's listening to this message that they would realize, God, that it's only you 
that can bring full and total satisfaction, that can really meet the need. Lord, guide us, Lord. Guide us through your Son, Jesus. That we wouldn't glory in man's wisdom, in man's method. That we wouldn't glory, Lord, in our own strength, our own experience. That we would not glory, Lord, in our own even riches, Lord, because you can take it all away. You can strip it all away. And, and Lord, thank you because you have slowed us down and you're stripping everything away to make us realize that what we really need is you. Lord, teach us to realize that, God. But after we've made that realization that we would surrender to you, that we would give our lives over to you, so that ministry can grow as we take the gospel to unreached places. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we said...